Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for CEO Exclusive, brought to you by Anona Enterprises. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to CEO Exclusive, where we get emerging trends from CEOs and their most trusted advisors. On today's show, we have an amazing team. Twice on the Inc. 500, our CEO is up for ENY, um, Entrepreneur of the Year. And we have Catherine Downey, CEO and founder of Cat Media, and her president, Scott Dixon. Welcome to the show. Thank you. We're happy to be here. So let's start off by just finding out a little bit about Cat Media. Tell us what Cat Media does and kind of your portfolio of, of operations. So Cat Media has basically two core competencies. One is creative services and the other is training. And so anything that falls into those buckets we do. We have three separate divisions. One is the Federal Services Division. Another is Cat Media, the agency, which is an advertising agency to corporate accounts, and then the Entertainment Division. And we have two projects right now in development. Very exciting. So I love to start the show off by asking our CEO guests, what are the trends in your industry or, or area of expertise that you think other middle market CEOs would be interested in knowing? So I'll toss that over to you. In the creative services world, some of the big trends in creative services and in advertising right now are in digital media, where social media is really taking over. And I have noticed that a lot of mid-level managers, mid-level companies, they don't really take it very seriously, but it's something that companies need to start taking seriously because their customers are using social media. Mm. We've heard a lot about social media on the show over the past few months. And so when you say that they're not taking it seriously, tell us a little bit about what that actually looks like inside of a company. Well, they may not have a social media plan that is uh, actually geared towards their target market. They may not be doing social media at all. So smaller and mid-sized companies tend to, in my opinion and, and what I have seen, don't pay a lot of attention to necessarily branding and marketing and social media and digital media. They're not really doing a lot in those areas at all. They might be using more traditional marketing. Mm -hmm. So it sounds to me like the CEO or maybe a few of the executives having a LinkedIn profile isn't enough. Correct. So you need a corporate Facebook, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, Pinterest, all of it, um, because your customers are on those social media um, outlets. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting because I've I've heard two camps, right? So there's the the camp which I tend to fall in, which is um, my company is B two B, so I am completely disinterested in Facebook. You know, I don't want to see the videos of the dancing cats and dogs. You know, like I'm just disinterested in that. Um, and so, you know, some advisors say, you know, if you're not going to actually have a meaningful presence in that particular social media, it's better to have no presence than to have something that's anemic that may, you know, kind of reflect badly on your brand. Um, and so I'd love for you to you both to weigh in on that question. Yeah, if I could take a stab at that. Social media really allows you to have a conversation with your customers, whether it's B2B or B2C is really secondary. The, the business clients are using social media. They're using it aggressively. So unlike just having a website strategy or a more traditional media strategy to promote your brand or promote your company, Facebook and Twitter in particular allow you to have an ongoing conversation with your clients. And there's a relatively high expectation 
that if one of your customers is on those, one of those social channels, commenting about their experience with you or asking you a question, they're going to get a response back very quickly. And if they don't, it reflects poorly on you. And how would you counsel a company or a CEO to think about the relative balance between all the different channels? So not just the individual channels on social media, but then social media overall as a part of their portfolio of their marketing strategy. I would just say as a part of your marketing strategy, you have to have a social media plan. I mean, you can't ignore it. You know, I think people that maybe are are in our, our age group in the 50s and 60s didn't grow up with social media, and some of us don't use social media. So because it's not necessarily in our purview, we don't take it seriously. But you're, you're talking about gross impressions, which is an old advertising adage, right? The more gross impressions you have, the more uh, market awareness is of you and your company. So I think from a gross impressions perspective, um, social media is an obvious choice. I mean, everybody is using it. I, I've heard the argument from um, some of my advertising agency buddies that, well, not everybody uses social media, but everybody uses social media. <laughs> I mean, you know, in some way, shape or form, they are being influenced. They are talking about it. They're hearing about it. They're, they're using it or benefiting from it in some way. So as you think about social media, um, and one of the things that, that comes to mind for me is, you know, you have this company and, you know, they may listen to this show and say, okay, finally, I'm going to start thinking about social media and taking it seriously. What would you counsel as the first few steps that they should take? Um, or how should the executive team think about evaluating the effectiveness of a social media plan? Well, let me kind of back it up a little bit. We, um, we, we did an assessment in a marketing and social media evaluation of a company called Bridge First Insurance in, in D.C. Sounds very, very exciting. <laughs> Actually, it was pretty exciting. I, get, you know, I, I, I like looking at things and analyzing you know, what's going on. So our creative services team sat down. We looked at their website. Uh, we looked at their name. We looked at all of their marketing efforts, social media efforts, processes. Um, and so the first step is to do an assessment. So their original name was Bridge First Financial, but they're an insurance company. So we actually made them change their name <laughs> or asked them to change their name, and they did. And then we did to, it what did you change? Bridge to? First Insurance. Okay. So That's that they would right. So that they would show up, they would show up in organic searches. We went through their website. We did SEO optimization. Then we started uh, developing a social media plan and, uh, and assigning blog topics. And so net result is they had the largest month they've ever had in sales in April and How May. Long? How long afterwards? Um, that, so we started the assessment in December. We implemented January 11th. April was their largest month. May is their next largest month. So, yeah, it was pretty effective. And, and they're showing up organically when you search them on the web. So it's not just social media. It's the whole package, right? Do you, do, are you, do you have the right name? Mm. I mean, that was the first thing that, that obviously screamed out to me. And then is your website working for you? And then from there, you know, what other marketing 
processes are you using? What are you doing? So we just, it worked. Yeah. And they're doing great. And I think as, as you mentioned the tie in between the gross impressions and the sales, I would love for you both to weigh in on how that actually works, right? Because it's one thing to drive all the traffic, but how do you actually get that to show up in, in real revenue? Well, I mean, obviously everybody struggles for ROI and social media, but I think if you try to apply some older advertising models where you use gross impressions to, to give you a reach and frequency of your message, or you can use gross impressions to give you a reach and frequency just of your brand awareness. That's what I do. Yeah. So, you know, it depends what your particular campaign objectives are. Mm-hmm. And, and often they are awareness. And awareness of your offering will lead to more customers buying your product or your service. But I, I'd add, uh, as far as the social media component, that all of your channel marketing should be integrated. So if it's offline marketing, you're doing literally everything from your business card to uh flyers or any other kind of offline marketing you're doing need to have um, instructions on there for what you want the person to do. If you want them to go to your website, then your website has to be on there. If you want them to go to your Facebook page, then your Facebook link has to be on there. And one way to really measure the effectiveness of an integrated campaign is to count the number of people that have taken the action that you wanted them to. And so in your, in your bridge first insurance example, what action did you actually, were you trying to push them to take? Do you remember? Well, we, we had multiple actions. So it was an integrated plan that included social media, included, included a, a drawing, kind mm-hmm. of a promotional thing. So what we would want people to do would be to share blogs, share posts, you know, create a larger audience for Bridge First Financial. Mm -hmm. And then uh, with the promotion that we did, we wanted people to make referrals to be a part of this promotion. And um, so it's it's worked for them. It's working for them. Great. 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 Um, And so as you think about integrated marketing, so you mentioned that, for example, if you, you know, do a promotion, then you want to drive people to um, go to the website to take a particular action and then they come into, you know, the sales funnel, I imagine. Mm -hmm. Do you have a perspective on how you go about building that sales funnel and what needs to be in it and how that actually works? Yeah, I do. I think people have preferred channels that they would like to engage with you on. And and the reason we encourage our, our clients to engage in all channels is you know, their customers ultimately are going to decide whether they engage with you on Twitter, on Facebook, find you through an organic search on Google, or perhaps find you in some kind of offline media. So it's, it's, um, it's the vendor's job to reach out to their client and the, and the way the client would like to engage with them. It's not the client's job to find you in the most convenient way for you. And it really, it, in many ways, it's become a more complicated world from a marketing point of view because everything is diversified and fractionalized as compared to, to the way it used to be. Hmm. But if you're into marketing like we are in branding, it's also fun, makes yeah. it more interesting. So if you think of your website as sort of the center of your universe, then everything that you do, you want to drive people to that website because your website is where you show your expertise 
and and talk about what you do, right? So for us corporately, our goal is to drive everybody to our website for Bridge First Financial or Bridge First Insurance or any other company that we may work for. That's that's the the hub. And then everything else comes out of that and drives things back into the website. Right. So it's interesting. So we've had some debates even here on Business Radio X about engagement. So you mentioned engagement, Scott. Right. How do you how do you think about engagement? Because, you know, there's this notion of gross impressions and people. How do you really think about whether or not people are absorbing the message and having meaningful interactions? Like you mentioned, the blog and things like that. How do you think about that or judge that? Well, it's a couple of a couple of ways. You know, if you're a uh, a client who's very ROI focused, you're going to pre- predominantly make that measurement around did your business increase? If you're selling widgets, did you sell more widgets in May than you did in April before you before you ran the campaign? I would say more broadly, clients today are defining that in terms of a broader definition of engagement. Are customers having conversations with you about what their needs are? The quality of conversations and depth that you didn't have prior to this, this campaign. And that's one of the powers of social media. That's why, you know, businesses have embraced it to the extent that they have because it allows somebody who is ultimately a purchaser of your product or service to ask questions, deep questions, much deeper questions than they could in, in a prior way. It's very exciting from that regard. Yeah, and how do you, or what's your thought on how you actually set up the messaging so that you you actually spark those conversations? Well, it, I mean, there's all kinds of ways to do it. You can be provocative. And when I say provocative, I mean you can you can ask questions that will cause your your prospect to think a little bit about what their answer might be. There's, there's a number of uh, home builders in Atlanta that do a particularly good job posting a, uh, a new kitchen on their website and saying, can you imagine yourself, you know, cooking Thanksgiving dinner here with your family and this kind of thing? And people will get on and say, oh, my gosh, I would love to do that kind of scenario. It's an example of what I mean. There's really, you know, seven ways that companies communicate with the world, mm. right? One is through their website. One's through video went through blogs, email, print, social media, and giving the user a stage. And what Scott's talking about is giving the user a stage through social media. So a company that has a a robust marketing and advertising program uses all of those avenues to communicate with their customer. And so that's what we we try to do and we advocate. That's really great. So tell us from your perspective, what you think each of those things is really good for. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, obviously. Like, a, a, like why? Because, you know, in some cases, one could think that they're redundant, right? Like, and I've had that thought. Like, do I really have to have each of these? And like, why does it matter? So if you could just share, you know, briefly on why each of them, each of them let matters. Me, let me take a step at this. So I think each media format has certain inherent qualities. Right. Right. Some just lend themselves better to different types of experiences. So print, for example, uh, print is the kind of thing, it's a long form kind of media, all right? It's the kind of thing that you can sit back and relax and read. Like when you walked by this morning and I was sitting reading the Wall Street Journal in the lobby, for example, it's a sit back, 
media. I'm not really sure what I'm looking for. I'm glancing through the newspaper. A Google search is a lean in. The internet component, the website is a lean in. When you have some aspect what you're looking for and you're doing a deeper dive, you're actually typing in uh, cat media into the Google search to find out what this company Atlanta can do from an ad agency and creative services point of view. For example, Facebook and Twitter and the social media channels have their own uh, advantages in that you can actually have a, an online conversation with the, with the company about what your, what your given needs are. Radio has advantages, right? Uh, that we're, we're here at drive time. I mean, you know, even though I see plenty of people uh, texting while they're driving down 400, we all know that's not a very healthy thing to do. TV has its own merit. So each medium, I, I believe, actually finds its own place in the, in, the, in the marketing sphere. And I guess my a, a corollary to that is, I think you said, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you, you believe that companies should have a presence in each of them. Right. We do. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and, and why, why, why is that? Why do you think it's important to have a presence every, everywhere? Well, it, it depends. Well, I think it's important to have this kind of presence everywhere for a couple of reasons. One is that it gives you that broader market, right? You're, you're reaching more people. And also it gives you the medium that might reach someone in a way that might not reach someone else. For instance, Scott likes to read the newspaper. So he's going to be looking at ads in the Wall Street Journal. I don't particularly read the newspaper. I get my um, news online or I listen to the radio, or I watch the news on television. So it's different people look to get their information from different outlets. And so these are the seven outlets that are available to a corporation to communicate with its potential buyers, potential audience. And mm-hmm. so that's why I think you need to... And when, when you reflect on it, media never goes away. Mm. Media formats can go away. Right. Yeah, that they still have the town. They had the town crier in Rome, right? They have the town crier. They have the town crier. <laughs> still gets published in in New England, in a, a matter of fact, which is which is a, a newspaper up there in in England. They still have the person who actually reads the news every day. But media doesn't really go away. The formats, you know, DVD will give away to CDs, and CDs will give away to something else. So media formats go away. But think of sandwich boards. Right. The the things that we see out on sidewalks when you're walking down a, a, a busy street, there's a cafe outside. You know, those things were invented centuries ago to let you know what's on the lunch menu or on the pub menu. And they're still used today because they work. So media doesn't go away when new media comes along. It just finds its own place. Mm-hmm. And the job of uh, marketing companies like ourselves is to help our clients best use the media towards whatever their particular goal may be. And you put website at the center. Um, yeah, I agree. At, at the center of them, uh, all of those, Cat. And do you have a perspective on the prioritization of the, of the rest, rest of them on the others? No, I don't think there's a prioritization. I think it's what's working for you, what your budget can afford. You know, some people can't afford all of this. And mm-hmm. obviously, social media is probably the least expensive um, way to get your message out. So... It just depends on your budget and your company. Mm, great. Thank you. That was a very, very rich conversation. I appreciate it. I always like to turn the conversation now to your work together. 
mm-hmm. and you know how you supported are supporting each other in business because you guys have done an amazing job growing in a, a great company and I would love to hear about how you've worked together to do that so tell us a little bit Kat about bring, bringing Scott in and you know you know why he's been special and how he's helped you grow your company so Scott and I have a little bit of a story we were in Vistage together for two years Scott was the CEO of a company. Oh, wow. And um, he made a transition in his life. And and so I thought, God, I just, you know, sales is not my thing, although I've been the person out there doing sales for the company. I'm more of a creative and operational person. And I really needed someone who could take that and really run with it. And so I asked Scott to join the company and he dated a few other companies before he committed, <laughs> but um, I didn't hold it against him. And uh, he finally said yes. How so. long have How long have you been working together? We've known each other for about three and a half, four years, yeah. but we've worked together for a little less than a year. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I thought was very interesting in looking at um, your relationship is you're CEO and founder and he's president. How did you choose those titles? Because often it's the CEO who becomes the president, right? And then you bring in a CEO that works for you. So what does that, what does that relationship really mean to you? You know, and, and, and how did you kind of choose that, that relationship? Well, it was very important for me that Scott have a title that's, that really reflects what he's going to be doing in the company. And so he is, he is, managing and has developed the whole sales organization up in DC and in, in Atlanta. So. Yeah. Catherine, Catherine chose the titles, which, which makes sense. I mean, she's a CEO and founder. There's not a lot to be discussed about that, but um, it uh, it's our, our story I think is really kind of interesting because Catherine's right. You know, we met, we met at Vistage and um, for those Viewers, would you say your viewers are pretty familiar with Vistage? Listeners, yeah. Listeners. Yeah. Sorry, thank mm-hmm. you. You're right, yeah. listeners. Um, Which is why we're both in our pajamas here. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody can see. <laughs> so our listeners are, are familiar. And Catherine came in. I had only been with the group for maybe six months or less when she joined. And this was a group of 17 or 18 men, all, I would say, in their mid-50s or or maybe a bit north of that, and she walks in as the as the only woman in the group. Um, I guess we were looking for diversification. I was very impressed with just the way she. How conduct- could you not be right? I was impressed with the way she conducted herself. I mean, the group. I think it's the group of, of nice guys, but I was I was one of them. So I I think to some extent we were trying to be welcoming, but it still had to be somewhat of a challenge to walk into that environment and she held her own you know we went out for drinks she drank right along with the boys and um, (laughs) had stories to tell was very authentic and very transparent brought a dimension to the group that the group very much needed and so I was impressed by that so when the opportunity came along through a series of other circumstances um, even though I did look at a couple of other companies I was very anxious to come join cat media and so you have this division of labor. Um, Catherine, you, you've taken over the sales organization. Right. How do you deal with, like, you know, conflict or when you're, you have, like, a difference of opinion? Well, there are times that those things come up, right? No doubt. I, have right. we had any differences of opinion, really? 
Yeah, probably. But, probably. I mean, but I, th- I think we just negotiate through them. And, you know, um, one thing that I've enjoyed about our relationship is, and, and the conflicts really come from more around timing of making an investment, potentially. Should we do this now or should we hold on until later? And then about people. But we generally share the same values with people. So when you're building a team, like I've been tasked to do, it, I feel like a HR recruiting machine more mm-hmm. than anything else. You know, just going out and finding people that share our company's values and that will come in and do the job. Mm-hmm. And our, you know, our team in D.C. is basically responsible for selling our offerings to the federal government. Mm-hmm. And we've got them organized by, by agency. And selling to the federal government is a long sales cycle, mm-hmm. 18 to 24 months. So you've got, to, you've got to keep them focused and motivated even when they're not having early wins because there, it's rare that you would have an early win. So you've got, you've got to keep them and motivated and make sure they're doing the right thing so that 12, 15, 18, 24 months will get the results that we want. Mm-hmm. So Catherine's been you know, extremely supportive in, in those goals and objectives. She's right. I don't think we've had any major conflicts, but when we when we come to a crossroads, we just talk about it and discuss it. So, what would those values that you you're looking for in your in your the team that you're building? What would you say those values are? So we have a, a, a lens. We we actually we use assessments to hmm. um, sort through applicants, but we also have a lens that we we try to apply after the assessments are are looked at and after the resumes are looked at. We want to hire people that are creative, curious, deeply responsible for their positions, inclusive, that have integrity. And so those are the things that we ask ourselves when we finally get down to those last two or three applicants, who really fits this, right? Who can do this? Because, you know, we have a lot of A players on our team. Yeah. Clearly. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We have A players and A players do not want to play with B players. So... You know, we want to make sure that we try to only bring in those A players, right? So that you have that that synergy with people, that they, everybody's on the same page. They're responsible for their job. They're curious. They ask a lot of questions. They're, you know, creative thinkers. They're, they're inclusive. We have a very diverse group of people. So you need to be open to that. And you also need to be open to diverse ideas about how to do things. So yeah, it's yeah. super important. So problem solving, you know, in a selling environment, what you're really trying to do is understand, you know, the, the government's requirement and there's more than one way to solve a problem. And so there'll be a lot of discussions around, we could approach the problem this way, we could approach the problem that way. And um, that's the fun part of selling. At its core, selling is nothing more than the transference of belief. You're trying to transfer your belief system to someone else. And that's really at the core of, of selling. That's why passionate people are very effective in selling because they, they're able to transfer their passion onto the, onto their prospect. And the prospect, even if they're not quite sure they're buying it, they're so impressed that you believe it that they're willing to give you an opportunity. So we try to hire people that are very passionate, that are very demonstrative in their when they're telling stories, they're using their hands and, you know, they're, they're describing things in a way that really bring the offering to life. And occasionally, if we've made a, a bad hire 
or maybe a B player on a team with A players, the B player will take themselves out. That's been our experience. They will, we don't have to let them go. They resign because they realize they just simply cannot play with the rest of the team. They can't keep up with the pace. They, they absolutely <clears throat> cannot keep up with the pace. Mm. Yeah. And so when you're kind of evaluating these last two or three people, how do you evaluate whether or not they have these values that you are talking about, like the inclusiveness or the integrity or the it's creativity? All, it's all about the questions that you ask them and how, and the conversations that you have with them. Mm. So we, we um, typically I'll do the first several interviews with the people. I'll also have them meet with everybody they're going to be working with on a daily basis because I value that, you know, what is that? chemistry look like. Uh, these are the people that are doing the job. So if it's a, a business development executive, I'll have them meet with the other after I've met with them. And I think they're right. This is somebody of worthy of further consideration. I'll have them meet with the other business development executives. And so I can get feedback from that perspective. I'll also have them sit down with our proposal team, our capture proposal team. These are the people that are actually going to be writing a lot of the proposals that get submitted to the federal government. And there's a tremendous amount of interface between our business development executives and that, and that capture proposal team. So I'll want to see that the capture team says, yeah, that person looks good. And then we set up a FaceTime um, interview between Catherine and our finalist. So Catherine can drill them for 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I do. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big fan of difficult interviews. I, yeah. I, I, <clears throat> Totally, totally, um, totally believe in that also. Yeah. All right. So, Catherine, give us, a, give, if you wouldn't mind, an example of a question that you would ask to, to figure out whether or not somebody has integrity. You know, I asked them about, a diff I, I, I asked them about situations. Mm -hmm. And so there's not necessarily one question about integrity, but if you ask people situational questions, like, tell me about the most difficult, um, tell me about a conflict you had with a coworker. What was it about? How did you resolve it? You know, those kinds of questions. Tell me about the project that you were the most proud of at your, you know, that you accomplished. Tell me about, tell me about something where you failed. Mm. What happened there? One question I always ask people, the very first thing is, how you doing? How's your day going? Oh my God. You would be so shocked at the answers that you get to that question. <laughs> You know, and and it's not just fine. Um, no, really. Now, now, since since there's been since the company has grown and there's a lot more people screening before it gets to me. Yeah, I usually don't get that. Oh my God! You know, my dog ate my homework and everything bad happened to me today. But there have been times when I've asked people that question that I just get a deluge of bad luck. <laughs> 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 you know, so that's always my first question. Hey, how how are you doing? How's your day going? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I would think that by the time they would get to you, especially if they're now, in the sales, they're like they would know not to give well, a negative answer. Well, not just sales. I mean, we hire we hire all kinds of people. Okay. But, but yes, now by the time they get to me, I don't get those answers anymore. But you know, a couple of years ago, when we were really hiring quickly to get people on board, you know, sometimes I was maybe the second interview, right? So. <laughs> I'd ask that question and I would just be stunned at the answers that I would get. But yeah, I mean, I typically try to ask, 
questions about situations and how people have handled things and how do they feel about things and you know, what did your coworker think about you? What did your last boss think about you? Those kinds of things. What do you think is your, you know, most important strength that you'd bring to the company? And tell me how you think that would help us. So those types of questions. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So now as you're, you know, building this um, killer team that's going to take over the world. Right. How are you thinking about the future and like the future of Cat Media and like your future plans? We have big future plans. I know. Right. So we've, we've got big plans for growth and we're planting the seeds now and have been, you know, for the past eight months to a year to, to really achieve that growth. And we are, our plans are for that to come through uh, commercial and corporate sales here in the Atlanta area. We've uh, launched a new agency here in Atlanta called the agency and we're calling on, um, we're calling on very specific and focused verticals here in Atlanta to serve those clients. And what we're trying to do is trying to leverage our experience in the regulated government space, right? Where, where budgets and meeting, meeting, uh, delivering a project on time, complete. Compliant. Compliant. Mm-hmm. Compliance is a huge word. Thank you, Catherine. Huge word. And we're trying to basically transfer that over into regulated industries here in the Southeast. Mm-hmm. I mean, would you share <clears throat> with us what those verticals are? Sure. So energy mm. is, is one area, right? So highly regulated industry for all the obvious reasons. Financial services, fintech is an, a, another area. And that's big in Atlanta too. Huge in Atlanta. You know, Atlanta is number three in fintech employment, only behind New York and California. Mm-hmm. Just really, really amazing the number of jobs in, in the industry here. And then um, aviation. Mm-hmm. Aviation is another highly regulated industries. We've got tremendous past performance within the FAA that we can leverage that work within. I love it. The agency. Yeah. It's, it's Cap Media, the agency. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, it's Cap Media, the agency. So we've got a fellow here, Jeff Mason, who we've uh, hired earlier this year who's helping us tell our story here to those clients in the, uh, in the Southeast. So we're excited about that. So our plan is to grow our commercial corporate sector um, in a really material way and build that business, as well as, uh, of course, our federal government sector up in uh, D.C. Mm-hmm. And then you mentioned like an entertainment practice as well. Yeah. Entertainment's so, fun. Ed- entertainment's fun. Entertainment's fun. Entertainment's hard work. Um, so we've, we've started an entertainment division and we have two projects that we're working on right now. One is a full length feature film that's called Nemesini. And the second is a documentary on, um, sex trafficking of minors, uh, American girls. Mm-hmm. And so does your entertainment company do full production, the entire suit? Yeah, we do it all. So Great. we have a 501c3 called Hope Love Charity that I started um, a year or so ago. Hope Love Charity? HopeLoveCharity.org. And so Hope Love Charity actually owns the um, sex trafficking documentary. And so that we're, we're producing that for Hope Love Charity. But the, the full-length feature film, Nemesini, is um, soup to nuts, written, will be written, directed, shot, the whole bit. Amazing, amazing, great. And so as um, 
my listeners know I'm, I'm a strategist. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I am very interested in planning. And I'm wondering, how do you plan and keep kind of all these, uh, your, your businesses moving forward? And what's your planning, strategic planning process? How do you think about strategic planning for your various businesses and divisions? So we had a, a really fantastic strategic planning two-day meeting in January. Mm-hmm. We, um, we're, we, we take a lot of time to think about how we want to do things. And, um, and then we execute. So, yeah, you know, it's a, it is a getting together around the tip where it's sometimes it's painful because we're very action oriented people and the thought of stepping out of your day-to-day activity to spend two days to go off site and be away from your telephone and be away from your computer and away from the people that you speak with every day feels like a, a bit of a, a penalty. But yeah. in fact, in <laughs> fact, it's the most valuable thing you can do because it really lays the groundwork for all the other decisions that you make throughout the year. And I would love for you, um, you know, you gave us your perspective, Scott. I would love for you to weigh in, Catherine, because if in any, like, let's say, Vistage room I go into, any given time I'll ask, well, how many of you have a strategic plan? And like, you know, anywhere from 50 percent to two thirds don't have one. So why do you think that it's worth it? I mean, I know why, but and you know why, but for the listeners, why do you think that it's worth it to take that management time, invest the money to do two days, right, of strategic planning? Like, if you can even talk about some of the tangible benefits you've seen, I would love to hear that. Well, I'm going to take us back, you know, five or six years ago, six, maybe six years ago. I started a strategic plan with the Small Business Development Council or centers, excuse me, and worked with them to develop a strategic plan. And within three years, we had hit almost every single marker on that plan. I know, it was shocking. The only thing that we didn't do was we didn't win an Oscar, which, you know. <laughs> you still might do that. It, it's, it, these big, bodacious ideas are still hanging out there. But, um, and then uh, through the um, SBA, I was in the Emerging Leaders Program. I was the class valedictorian there. But part of the graduation of that program is to have a strategic plan, right? So we've we've started hitting those markers. And then we've amended that strategic plan in January um, and refined it um, because a strategic plan is not just about um, targets for gross revenue. It's, it's around HR. It's around how you're managing financially, all those things. And so all of that has to come together with, with then once you get the big goals. And of course you have to put action steps behind it and who's going to be responsible for it. So it keeps people that can be that are very driven but are that are very interactive focused on what the end game looks like and so if you're focused on what it what, what the win looks like then then all the pretty shining objects you know really are don't become the distractions that they can come become if you're not focused on what the goal looks like great, great. yeah the focus word is really really powerful right because there are a lot of pretty shiny objects out there, opportunities, you know, that that can be dressed up and disguised as something else. And you say, oh, my gosh, you know, we, we really need to go for that, even though it has absolutely it wasn't in our strategic plan. It's going to divert resources that we had previously committed to something else. And so, you know, we're still a relatively small company. And so we have to be very deliberate about the decisions we make and. And um, 
the strategic plan is kind of a, it holds us accountable to the decisions that we make every day. Great. Well, thank you so much for, um, you know, sharing with us, you know, all of the, the wonderful expertise and insights that you have. I'm wondering if there's anything other than, you know, the, um, some of your film projects or um, your new, uh, the agency division that you would like to share with listeners um, about Cat Media that they haven't heard yet. Um, anything new and interesting happening? Well, I mean, all of that's new and interesting. I know, this is very new and interesting. <laughs> that's, that's happening. Think Gosh. That there might be a cover or something that you're going to be on or that you were on for is Fortune? Oh, I'm not on a cover. There, There's an article ah, okay. in um, Fortune magazine uh, about, it's the women's issue. And, and there's an article about us in that. Um, cover of uh, Georgia Trend. That was the one. I, I was the cover of uh, the Georgia Trend small a small business resource guide. Um, and um, the biggest the biggest thing for um, me personally that's happened was that I was named the 2016 Georgia Small Business Person of the Year uh, from the SBA, and that that's been pretty cool. That congratulations. Um, thank you, thank you. But you know the the company. I mean. I, th- that award felt more like it was me, but all these other things that have been happening, that is really a function of the great people that that work, you know, with us every day. And, you know, when I said we had a lot of a players, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, honestly, I, you know, if there's B players in there, I just don't know who they are because I think we have an amazing team of folks and I feel so grateful and so fortunate to have them. And and that Scott has joined us because he brings a whole nother level of professionalism and expertise in areas that, you know, I'm, I'm, I may not be that good at. So, I mean, you know, when you're an entrepreneur and you start a company, you're good at that one thing. You know, I was good. I was, I'm a, I'm a pretty good creative, so I'm great at that. And I had to learn how to be a business person, but Scott brings a whole nother discipline to the table, and I'm just so grateful that that he's hanging out with us. Well, thank you. Catherine's very modest about her capabilities. She's actually one of the best salespeople in the company. She doesn't give herself enough credit for that. Most of the most of the big contracts we have, she sold. Mm. But um, the reality is, the thing I'm most excited about is our future. I mean, we've got great people. We've got great offerings. You mean our, our, the offerings, that our creative services offerings and our training offerings are world-class. We have incredibly quality rate, incredible quality ratings from the people that have hired us and we've performed work for, you know, just literally exceptional ratings. So our challenge and our opportunity is to take those and, and um, allow more people to enjoy the benefit of them. So that's what we're excited about. Awesome. And if any listeners want to get in touch with you to hear more about what you've spoken on today, how can they do that? They can call us. They can call us directly, Catherine Downey or Scott Dixon at, uh, at Cat Media. They can log on to our website. They can find us both on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Twitter, you uh-huh. name it. All right. You got all seven covered. Right. Wonderful. Right. Thanks a lot for a great show. Thank, Thank you. you. This show is brought to you by Anona Enterprises, where strategy is your access to money and performance. Learn more at AnonaEnterprises.com.